Hi, welcome to Reinnovation, the podcast that takes a slightly skeptical look at innovation and in smart cities. I'm Kimberly Kinchin. I'm a transportation advocate and auxiliary urbanist, and I am joined as always by my co-hosts. Hi, I'm Jasmine Smith. I am an activist, an educator, an advocate in Seattle, and I have been getting also into the urbanist uh, auxiliary frame of mind. So, yeah. And my name's Ace, and I'm an architect, and the world is on fire. So that's where we are. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so we were uh, in the early planning stages of developing our show when the first case of COVID in the U.S., uh, the first cases were reported in the Seattle area. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the effect on how we live and build and make cities better or not is going to be pretty big. So we decided that we would just produce some sort of prequels to discuss that as we get the full program up and running. Uh-huh. Just a quick check-in with everyone, um, seeing how we're doing, and mostly just kind of logging um, our experiences since last week. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, why don't I start? Because I actually just can actually say something brief this time around, unlike most yeah, okay. of the time, <laughs> yeah. which is that my week is basically, I can be encapsulated by me trying to go to the pet food store to get a special order of cat food for one of my cats, like to buy a whole flat. And you can't pay for those in advance for whatever reason. So I went inside mm. the store to pay for it. And they had a nice little station set up that's six feet away from the cashier and they had hand mm-hmm. sanitizer and they had the card reader and everything ready to go. They were completely prepared. I started digging in my carefully prepared bag where I had my hand sanitizer on the outside pocket and then I had everything else in the inside pockets. Yes. And I could not find my freaking wallet, oh. which I had apparently left at home in the pocket of another jacket. No. Something. Oh. And so I started having a miniature meltdown, luckily, where I was just like, I cannot find anything because my, I'm trying to make sure that my hand sanitizer is always in the same predictable place, right? It's this organizational challenge where I'm having to adapt all of my little micro organization systems Mm -hmm. to this life, which is Mm -hmm. in most, I mean, it's a minor thing, but it's making me, it's really taxing psychologically, basically. Luckily, my partner was outside. He was watching our bikes. I called him on my phone. I said, like, we trade places. Can you come pay for this? Yeah, lifeline. He came and paid for Mm -hmm. it. He was my lifeline. But I really have had uh, several of those kind of like borderline meltdowns over Mm -hmm. insignificant things just because the organizational element, like whether it's getting dressed to go outside or how Mm -hmm. I come back in. Um, I'm just really finding that very challenging and yeah. still adapting to that. And it's, um, it's a little bit taxing. So that's my, that's my week. I could, I have like five other stories like that that happened <laughs> that kind of kicked it off. So I'll leave it there. Jazz, what about you? Uh, I am on spring break from school. So I am very pointedly not sitting in front of my email for eight hours a day but Mm -hmm. (laughs) um I've 
been I was able to do some baking earlier this week and nice. some of my friends um you know kind of like have this impromptu like food slash yeah food swap circle sort of thing oh, going cool. on so um, that's awesome yeah so someone like baked uh, made some like baked goods or treats and um came and biked over to me with um some for me and some for their twin actually who lives over in beacon hill and i uh swapped in some of my coffee cake for them and for uh, the other friends that coffee cake yeah (laughs) that was next on their list to to go over to fremont and um then i went and took um the treats over to uh venice and uh beacon hill and that was a nice little bike ride over from queen anne um and uh got some yeast in return so (laughs) kind of just like like oh this is like a system that works (laughs) and then we can keep everyone fed and uh sane (laughs) yeah nice so you you have basically a mutual aid network of uh baked goods yes (laughs) and I still had some left over, like more than what I could eat on my own mm-hmm. before it got stale and all that. So um, I dropped off some more slices with one of my other friends in um, Belltown, and she uh, got, uh, gave me some sausage and lentil soup. And yeah, that's cool. It's working out really well. <laughs> that's awesome. Twenty first century barter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How about you, Ace? So I have two things. Um, I would say the first one is since the last time that we chatted, uh, I had been tested for COVID and um, I was negative, but I want to explain that whole ordeal. So remember how I talked last time about going to the grocery store and how stressful that experience was. Mm -hmm. Um, So that evening I start to get this feeling in my chest and I'm like, this doesn't feel right and so i was like okay well let's play this out let's see how it goes for a few days and see what my symptoms are and so at that point i'm like okay now i immediately start checking my temperature and i do it every so often like every couple hours but one of the biggest challenges i had was i could not lay down on my back anytime i did i just felt like i had this strong pressure that was just like on one side of my body and like went down into one of my lungs and I was like oh god okay um like honestly freaking out but trying to stay calm I think the big thing for me though was that I didn't have a um a temperature the entire time and so after three days and this was Thursday of last week um I decided to talk to someone and so luckily I have um, insurance that I can talk to somebody just online 24 hours a day and so I was like this this is what I'm feeling these are my symptoms and they're like okay well we're going to test you for COVID because this could potentially be that so come in and I was like okay great I get to go outside again (laughs) (laughs) because I went outside the one time and so um, I went it was really straightforward which was very impressive and as much as I don't want to say like, oh, I have great insurance. I have really great insurance. So I took the test and the test is the most excruciating thing that I have experienced in quite a while. 
So if you've seen the examples of the diagrams, yep, it's a long (laughs) Q-tip. They tilt your head back, so it's against the wall, and then they just directly stick it in. And then they start spinning it and, like, moving it around, and it's for 12 seconds, and you feel every second. And then after that, usually you either cough or, and I sneeze, like, after that, because it was just, like, burning my eyes mm-hmm. were watering during the whole process mm. and i was just like god okay just i know this is what i need to do i have to do it i have to do it i have to do it oh and so i found out that night which i was expecting actually when they told me um that it could be three to five days that i was gonna have to wait a while and i'm like okay great um in the chance that i am positive this I could start showing other symptoms in that time that I had to wait. And so I was like kind of pissed about that. But mm-hmm. uh, later that night I got my results and I got an email on just saying like, you were negative, everything was fine. So I just have a, a normal respiratory illness. Um, and like, it's not any better. <laughs> I mean, it is better. So I was like relieved that I did not have COVID, but at the same token, um, like I had discussed before being immunocompromised, this is something that mm-hmm. happens. Yeah. fairly often and so yeah. I got um, that is tied to today when I got my stimulus check and was able to go purchase what I needed which was Mucinex along with a bunch of other things so for the next couple of days I'll be taking Mucinex and with part two which is the stimulus check that I got today did either of you get your stimulus checks? I did I did. Nice. I haven't got mine yet but I should because I did direct deposit last year and I got a refund and yada yada. So mm-hmm. we'll see. Cool. But... Nice. I mean, I keep. I just checked on the site <laughs> earlier and it was too busy, so yeah. I'll check mm-hmm. later. But yeah. Yeah, I was trying to check on BECU this morning, and both the app and the website were so broke. They were like, "Nope." <laughs> Everyone. Yeah. My, uh, are you talking about your credit union being their yeah. mobile banking being? See, mine is too. I have a. I, I use OnPoint in Oregon mm. a long time ago and they're having issues with their um, mobile banking as well. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I'm sure their anyway. servers aren't used to everyone checking their um, <laughs> bank Constantly. account at once. Yeah. yeah. Correct. So I have Chase yeah. and um, okay. it's a huge bank but at the same token there were multiple times today where I just could not access my account which is great being a business and not being able to. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Crap. So yeah. But I, you did get your check. I did. So okay. I went to the store and this was like my day. I well, I went to the store after purchasing one thing that I really wanted, which is a body pillow. So the first thing I bought was my check, body mm-hmm. pillow, because I live by myself. <laughs> As I said the during the very first podcast, and I risked it for the hug. And I'm fine, but I miss hugging people. And so, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I got that. And then I also bought some running shorts and a couple of running uh, tops to wear. Excellent. And that's because I know I need to get active again. Um, and hopefully once I recover from this sinus infection, I'll be able to do that. And so that's one thing we can do during the stay at home mm-hmm. order is go mm-hmm. outside and run and um looking at everything else because i like brought i just am going to look actually at my account as we talk about this being like what did i spend twelve hundred dollars on because i feel like that would be kind of fun (laughs) um 
And okay. I think this is also an important thing because there, there was this whole discussion online with Steve Mnuchin who mm-hmm. said, oh, you know, $1,200, that'll last for, uh, that'll last uh, a family for 10 weeks. Yes. Yeah, the silence that you're I mean, <laughs> even, even if you add up, even if you, let's say that we're talking about a traditional family with sp- two spouses and two kids, like two kids. And so that's $2,400 for the adults and then $500 each for the kids. That's $3,400. Mm-hmm. That was my take home pay when I lived in New York, making the most money I ever made in my entire life. And that's, once you take out, well, anyway, we know once you take out rent, mm-hmm. groceries, mm-hmm. subway pass, any money at all for anything entertaining or comforting whatsoever. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, yeah. Yeah, it's literally more yeah. than my rent, so. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Or I mean, so, uh, my rent is literally more than uh, the stimulus check. check. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I, and that's something, too, because we live in Seattle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Rent is not cheap. Regional differences, yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And so to lovely uh, summarize what I spent my money on, so I spent it on running gear, mm-hmm. a body pillow. I went to the store and I got medicine along with a bunch of other, I would say, foodstuffs mostly. Mm-hmm. So I got some food for the rest of the week, but also I bought uh, – things like condiments that way i can use them for months or like at least a month that'll last me 10 weeks Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Um, i I bought cleaning supplies um i also bought some notebooks because something i want to do during this extra time i have is to relearn some languages that i know so what languages? Yeah. So I grew up around Spanish, so I speak uh, a decent amount. I understand a lot more than I speak. Um, And then I will be starting to learn French. And then I will be reteaching myself German because I took a bunch of courses and then completely forgot it after college. Mm -hmm. So. Notebooks. Yeah. So the, so the Amazon purchases, that was roughly $200. The uh, stuff for that I got at the grocery store that was two fifty, mm-hmm. and then I also took out forty dollars. I took out forty dollars because I'm going to go get edibles at some point, and as we know, you have to use cash. Do they? Can you do delivery? I don't do any pod or anything like that, so I don't know how um, that stuff works. No, I don't think don't. so okay. in Washington there, State. There used to be a guy who would deliver by bike but he got pushed out of the market. He was kind of like not <laughs> entirely, well, you No, I mean, he actually was, he was, I mean, he was, he would deliver by bike and he was like a solo, uh, like kind of semi-anarchist entrepreneur mm-hmm. and really like, really wanted to like, not be like the Uncle Ikes and stuff. Yeah, 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 completely. And, but I think he just was finding it to be like too much of a struggle. But he did. Mm-hmm. So you, he did. I guess. I guess that delivery thing is the illegal part of it. I don't. I mean, which I don't really understand to be honest. Yeah, it's something that I don't know a hundred percent. I know, and this has also been updated with um, 
the recent law by Governor Inslee is that you can deliver alcohol. And now anyone who has a license, so anyone who normally serves alcohol as part of their uh, food and beverage, mm-hmm. they mm-hmm. can now provide with delivery alcohol. Mm-hmm. And so that was something that was not available before. I feel like they should do that with marijuana also. I'm yeah, looking I think... at a website and it says that we deliver in Seattle is not regulated or allowed, although some services still deliver weed. Um, yeah, I yeah. think the big the big thing, and this is also why I got cash, is that it's still illegal to bank with like a national bank because it's still illegal on the federal level. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. that restricts a lot of things like I you have to pay with cash. That also yeah, and is, I uh, guess you don't want to be... Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, that's also probably why the guy got pushed out, because a lot of the people who do own businesses here, they're basically just, like, mm. ridiculously wealthy individuals who have tons of money, like, mm. cash on hand to be yeah. able to even run these kinds of businesses. Yeah. I think also... I think that that's a really good point. I think also uh, doing a cash-based delivery service where you could be like running around with hundreds or thousands of dollars yeah. on yeah. your person might be kind of impractical as well. So yeah, that's interesting. So, so $40 for edibles, yep. anything else on your list? Uh, let's see. So I got the groceries. That was a total of two fifty. Um, that also includes the medicine. Uh, I bought a lot of drinks. Um, and by drinks, I don't mean alcohol. Actually, none of that was alcohol. <laughs> uh, I got like, uh, let's see, what was it? I got some sparkling water. I got kombucha, lots of coffee, cold brew, because I plan on buying a cold brew baker. But in order to get something like that delivered, it's going to take a couple weeks. So in the meantime, I have this. Let's see. I also got, oh, I got some very, very lovely um dining where i guess i can say cutlery i had been looking at this really beautiful website it's called Articture, and so it's basically like beautiful metal uh of various different colors so you can get like different colors of forks and spoons and it's pretty like shishi and like definitely bougie but <laughs> i really like the way it looks and i actually have not bothered to get full sets of cutlery because when I moved uh, here, of course, I was starting my yeah. business. And so I'm like, yeah, yeah. Like, I don't have yeah. this stuff. And so um, there's a sale and that was $110. And then I have, da, 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 da. I bought lunch and I bought like a, a nice lunch for myself from a place called Rondo. So a local Japanese place. Great. Mm. That was 40 bucks. Uh, and then I donated $100 to the Greenlight Project. So that is a local mm. um, sex worker's um, mutual aid fund and I think one of the big keys to that and also ties back into the uh, discussion around the discussion around uh, pot shops is these are individuals who do have to walk around with a bunch of cash these are individuals who are outside of um, the taxing system for the most part because mm-hmm. a lot of what they do is seen by the government as illegal and so they're not able to receive the $1,200 check or trying to do like a, a paycheck protection program for sex workers that just does not exist. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. at the same token, these are people who, whose whole livelihood is basically having physical interactions with other individuals. Mm-hmm. So they're hit hardest in times like this. Yeah. Yeah. 
Can you talk a little bit more about what their mutual aid, what that mutual aid project does a little more specifically? So I think some of the biggest things that the Greenlight Project does is that they really help um, individuals who are sex workers um, be able to support themselves and also defend themselves. So it's a lot of things like providing um, health kits and test kits, things that you could need like condoms and lubricant and just basic necessities. Along with that, I know that they also provide them um, just means of defense. So things that they can help protect themselves, not guns um, by any sort, but other items and just basic toiletries um, as well as snacks, just like, Mm -hmm bits of food and just like general cash just because these are individuals who are kind of feast or famine for the most part typically like any other entrepreneur can definitely relate to and so it's similar to any other mutual aid network in that they're just trying to provide these resources and services so that they can be able to live and survive yeah yeah okay thanks for giving that overview and one of the primary organizers of the Greenlight Project is running for Frank Chop's seat in that the is correct. Third, that is district. Mm-hmm. They them. Mm-hmm. What's that? They them. They them. Can you say their name again? Sheree Lasell. Lasell is how you pronounce the last LaSalle. name. Okay. Okay. I've like pronounced it in my head probably forty different ways. So. Yes, and this is also where I have to disclose that I am helping the campaign. So, just so that everyone is aware. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's very. I'm just gonna say exciting, for lack of better word, coming mm-hmm. to mind that um, Sheree is running, and so is Jesse Murray. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, I'm just glad that two really lefty people are running against Chop and. Mm-hmm. I have not decided. I will. I will use my money to donate to both of them at this mm-hmm. point, and then I'll see where things are. Probably later in the summer. Yeah. Um, I am. I really, really needed somebody to run against Chop, but that's kind of outside the purview <laughs> of this program, so we'll not get into that. But, but yeah. Well, I think it for the discussion we're having now and. Uh, I guess just to quickly wrap up, that was most of the money. The only other thing that I am using the money for is for food, but I I bought a week's worth of groceries from a place called um, Seattle Fish Guys. And Mm -hmm. so I have to give them a shout out because their food is always amazing. And so they have this package that you can get once they release it. I want to say you probably have 48 hours to order because they've run out. But it's like seven meals, all these sides, drinks, desserts from a bunch of like local places. So the big thing about like the stimulus check is to use that money as locally as possible. So mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I want to give them a shout out and definitely say like, and that was a $1,200. Yeah. So oh, all right in a <laughs> Awesome. Um, so yeah, I think the discussion around politics in the era of COVID is really key, especially for local elections here in Seattle because you are, have individuals who are saying like, yeah, I just declared, and then they're not able to engage with anyone mm-hmm. in a mm-hmm. physical way. And so there's definitely a lot of good, thoughts. 
a lot of thoughts um, around what that looks like. Mm-hmm. Like we have been talking within ourselves, like, okay, what, how do we engage with people? But at the same token, it's hard to be able to say, hey, I'm running and hey, please vote for me when we're trying to deal with all of these other pending crises. Right. I've been thinking about that a lot, not specifically in the way that you just framed it, Ace, but just like, how do you run a campaign under these conditions? Mm-hmm. Kirsten, I don't know if it's Kirsten Tally Harris or Kristen Tally Harris, who's running um, for Eric Pettigrew's seat in the, I forget the district number, it's uh, like Hellman City, South Seattle area. She like right away was like Zoom meetings, like they, she, she like almost, I want to say within the first week had, I'm sure she wasn't, I'm sure her campaign wasn't ready for it because none of us could have predicted this, but they definitely very quickly, it felt like they got up and running very quickly doing at least some digital connecting with their key supporters. Yes, and I but just she, found it. Um, her okay, name yeah. is Kirsten Harris Tally. Harris Tally. Thank you. K-H-T. What? I don't even know what I said. District 37, position two. 37, it is District 37. Okay. So she, so her campaign, like, really was on it from the very beginning. So I don't know who she has consulting, but they were on it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and I do, I mean, I do wonder, like, I guess, I guess I worry that it's, it bet, it likely benefits the incumbents. Yeah. That's my mm-hmm. first instinct. And uh, that for 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 my district and you're i think you're in my district ace 43 in the 43rd and then is is frank chop Mm. is queen anne i think i'm reuben carlisle if that's the oh yeah okay okay it's always great how these don't line up at all no. to the U.S. districts. And it's just like, what does this even mean? Right, right. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's. Me go point. on to vote.wat. So, so Frank Chop <laughs> is the current state, uh, for people who are not in Seattle, he's the current state rep for the Washington State 43rd Legislative yes. District. And he's been the Speaker of the House and I mean, basically, the short story is that even though the Democrats now control the state house, we're not—it's—we're not really seeing the kind of progressive policy that we really expect or deserve mm-hmm. from from that. And yeah, I would like to see some turnover personally. Yes, I am in the thirty-six. So that's thirty-six. Yeah, Reuben Carlisle, Gail Tarleton. Um, Okay. And uh, no, I'll frame. There okay. you go. And I think that's a big thing that a lot of people don't know when discussing Washington state politics, particularly in the past couple of days. There was a discussions around California and Oregon and Washington coalescing together and working together to, in the future, hopefully be able to open up our economies again at the same time and to, to be working together and having the understanding of working in a capacity that is dominated and uh, a discussion that's dictated by science, which is great, mm-hmm. especially given our federal response. Um, at the same token, a lot of people look at the West Coast or the Pacific Coast as 
this super liberal bastion when we know in actuality by living here that things are not actually progressing in the way that people think. And it's not as liberal as it's truly believed to be. Mm -hmm. I can only nod my head because I feel like getting into that discussion will be down a road in which I begin (laughs) tearing my hair out. Right. Um, (laughs) Well, something else we can talk about, um, which just happened today, is the West Seattle Bridge. The West Seattle Bridge. Yeah. And this was after a whole day of news and oh even um just like reaching out very quickly in florida they had temperatures over a hundred degrees in many of many places in south florida so as we try and deal with the um difficulty of the covid crisis through that and also through the um the demolishing not demolishing the degradation of the west seattle bridge we see more in focus um, the climate crisis and really how are we going to respond to this crumbling piece of infrastructure that thousands of Seattleites use in order to get from one part of the city to the other? Because it's essentially the main bridge. Mm-hmm. It's the main bridge. And can you recap what we learned today about that bridge? Yeah. Or Jasmine, do you? I don't. I just barely got a glimpse, but just that it's going to be closed until like 2020. Two, right? 2022. 2022. That is correct. And even then, if they do some minor fixes, then it is only going to last for another 10 years after that. Maybe. Yeah. Oh. Right. And I think that cost is $30 million. So basically, they're going to repair these huge cracks or huge structural mm-hmm. problems. 30 something million dollars. It will only last for 10 years. Mm-hmm. And we are facing climate change and I just don't understand how we can, I mean, people do need to get around obviously, mm-hmm. but there are, there's also a big question about induced demand and can people get, I mean, especially it's happening at an opportune time, at least. <laughs> I, mean, I, I think a lot of us I, are definitely, a lot of us who are urbanists are definitely looking at it that way. Maybe right, like, well, if it was right. going to happen, well, actually probably a lot of people are just like, well, I guess if it was going to happen, it should happen now. Because apparently those cracks have been developing for a while and yeah. someone just didn't miss, missed it, I guess. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think there are questions about whether they were waiting as long as they could mm-hmm. to... Like, I think there are questions about whether it's actually or now. <laughs> that doesn't have to be a conspiracy, though. It can be, like, a legitimate, like, bureaucratic organizations. <laughs> it was a legitimate yeah, conversation, it can be. but they had it. One of the recent city council meetings where um, they had the director of trans- of SDOT <laughs> talking to them about why they only heard about it, like, two hours before the closure. <laughs> Ooh. Well, yeah, you kind of have to explain yourself at that point. <laughs> right. And so I think that it is a legitimate question. Like, why? Because inspections, well, I don't know the details, so I'm not going to speculate about, mm-hmm. about that. But I think it's a legitimate question to ask in, the, in that the city should have to be accountable for, you know, what they knew and when. Mm-hmm. But back to this, this, the question that we were talking about, which mm-hmm. is, you know, the, the, 
the the opportunists of the shutdown, mm-hmm. the costs of what will ultimately be a very short term repair yeah. on on the life scale of major infrastructure, is it worth it? We also have to pass a new transportation levy mm-hmm. in the next few years, mm-hmm. and the last transportation levy made a lot of promises to non car centric to users who do not use cars as their main way of getting around and other forms of mobility, other forms of mobility. And how how are you going to pass a, I mean, to me, one of the big questions is how are you going to pass the next transportation levy when is that Queen Anne? Nope. That's Ace. (laughs) That's Ace. Okay. I think I, cause I couldn't hear, I thought I could hear it like kind of out my window, but uh, anyway. Sorry. Yeah, um, that's Capitol Hill. (laughs) Anyway, transportation levy, uh, I'm not sure how they're going to pass it. Like, how are we going to pay for it now is one Mm -hmm. big question. Mm -hmm. How are we going to pass another transportation levy? The people who helped pass it last time feel burnt and are are unlikely to do the kind of work they did last time to get Mm -hmm. the levy passed. And there was a lot of work that was done and there were a lot of promises that were made and not kept. Yeah. And And that kind of gets even into what we were discussing before about the larger political issues of how progressive we are. Cause mm-hmm. we know, and, but a lot of people outside of Washington do not know that we actually have the most regressive tax mm-hmm. system in the U S. And so that makes it hard to be able to collect funds that are not directly related to sales tax. And then you look at individuals who are still highly dependent on cars, even though we have an excellent transportation system, there are still a lot of people who see the dominance of cars and even for better or worse, not even for better or worse, um, not to bash her too much, but Mayor Durkin and through the transportation levy, a lot of those promises that were made to both cyclists as well as pedestrians mm-hmm. have not been seen and fulfilled. And so you have a lot of people who are just going to be asking questions about, okay, well, if yes, if we ask for more money, through a, a levy, are we actually going to see that happen? Are we actually going to be promised those goals that we talked to and said that we were going to see? And then when it comes to this bridge, are we going to pay that 30 million just so that the bridge lasts a little bit longer? Or like myself and I know a couple other people want to see, could we actually completely rebuild the entire bridge, but also build in light rail because that is part of the proposal is for that to happen, um, but at a much later date. And so do we spend more money now to get mm-hmm. what we want in the future, or do we just do this little fix and then come back later and do yeah. the rest of it? Yeah. And why can't we build, like, the Tillicum Bridge that Portland has that's just rail and pedestrian <laughs> <laughs> oh, and only... bike? Well, that's the... Or at least prioritizes it, right? Like, have some lanes for cars, fine, but mostly make it for rail and for walking and rolling and biking. That's kind of the gag right now, actually. Um, the lower bridge, because there's a smaller bridge that is yeah. underneath the, the mm-hmm. higher West Seattle Bridge, is that it's only currently accessible for people who either work on the island, because there's like a small island that's between West Seattle and Main Seattle, Mm-hmm. Uh, transit, mm-hmm. pedestrians and bikes, and emergency vehicles. So anyone who's in just a regular car or vehicle cannot use that bridge that's still being that's still open. 
I have another idea. Instead of spending $30 million okay. on the bridge, I'm let's listening. just buy people in West Seattle e-bikes. <laughs> yeah. You know what? It'll keep people spaced apart at least six feet. See, I'm, I'm, I'm 70% serious. I mean, why not? But why not? Yeah. Better long-term use of money. Yeah. Definitely. But I think um, we will but, know but, yeah. more within the next few days. And so with that, mm-hmm. I think we can uh, wrap up this COVID chat with yeah. uh, re-innovation. Yes. All right. 